Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, I talk about my recent trip to LA, meeting with some of my favorite manufacturing partners, and talk about the highlights around City of Industry. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Longtime listeners of Hardware Asylum will know that I take a couple of trips out of the year. One of them down to Las Vegas to uh, see CES, and then another one to Taiwan to visit Computex. Well, this year I was able to go to CES, but I decided to do something a little different with the summer, and I took the Computex year off, which is a little odd since it's been, what, 10 years in a row now for me, but I felt that I could uh, get a little bit more out of it by doing something different this summer. So that's intriguing. What did you end up doing? Well, it turns out that Cooler Master had an after Computex event to go along with some of the new products they were going to launch. And uh, they wanted to also talk about their maker, quote unquote, maker sponsorships. So that makes sense. I know we've talked about the the chaos and confusion of trying to get everything worked in on your Computex trip. So mm-hmm. a targeted visit. I can see why that would be appealing. Mm -hmm. So I spent a couple of days, planned out some trips, and uh, lucky for me, a lot of the U.S. offices for the manufacturers I work with are all in the same area in the greater Los Angeles area. Well, that sounds interesting. So who all did you go see? Let's see. First on the list was EVGA, and then I saw Thermaltake, Gigabyte, Zotac, uh, Cooler Master, who was the primary reason or the primary driver for going to the region, uh, Inwin and Kingston. Well, that's an impressive list. Yeah. And I did a similar trip last year and I met with some of the same vendors, but, um, you know, there was, a uh, some new people on the list this time and, uh, they had a lot of interesting things to show. I mean, I didn't get a lot of pictures because it was their office and they say, Hey, no, no pictures. And in fact, um, a lot of the buildings didn't even have signs on the outside. That is interesting. I know that you've posted some fun tour pictures too, but this sounds like a little bit different visit. Yeah. Well, let's walk through it. Tell us some of the stuff you saw. So you started with EVGA, you said. Mm-hmm. EVGA was my first visit because they were, for the most part, closest to the airport. Um, logistically, I was trying to get my drive time and my meeting time maximized. So they're out in Brea, um, and they built a new building. They used to have like two warehouses or something, and then they consolidated into a new building. Um, The place is huge, although I got to see the lobby and a conference room. (laughs) Okay. But we went in there. um, I sat down with my contact, and we um, basically just got caught up on the stuff that I might have missed at Computex that wasn't really as mainstream knowledge. So they have the the new case, the DG8, which is uh, a case that they showed at CES. This is a new chassis design for them that kind of changes the way that you think about cases. Interesting. So normal chassis have um, a front and a back, and the front is where all the drives are. Right. And, you know, intake fans and power buttons and stuff like that. And then the side, which would be if you're facing it, the left side is normally a window where you can see inside and see your motherboard and video card and power supply and bad cable management, you know, whatever you want to see <laughs> right. in there. Hopefully and then if, something good. Yeah. And then of course the back is where all the cables come out. Um, Silverstone kind of takes that same design and they rotate it and have the cables coming off the top for the Ravens. Well, with the EVGA DG eight series, 
the front of the case is what would normally be considered the left side of the chassis. Interesting. So we have the window, and they consider that to be the front. So then you have an ornate right and an ornate left, which is the old front and back, that uh, are kind of symmetrical and mirror each other. So is this a, a cube design? No, it's a standard tower chassis. And believe it or not, there's one in the lab we can... I can pull it out if you really want to see it, but we're just kind of discussing it right now. Fair enough. Um, so the front and the, and the back, which are the right and the left side, they have these covers. So you still have, I think you have five and a quarter drive access. Maybe not, but there's definitely intakes there. So we'll have to take a closer look once you get to that, to the review bench, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And you never know, the review might be live before this podcast comes out because we're kind of recording it beforehand, but that doesn't really matter. So the case itself, the front of it is the window. Down below is kind of a, a mirrored glass piece that has fan controls and heat, um, you know, thermal controls. It also has like a K-boost button. So you can plug it into your video cards and get K-boost, which turns boost on 100%. So it's always running as fast as possible. And that uh, requires, of course, a compatible card. Obviously, an EVGA card. Um the case is really designed a lot for, or it's designed around the EVGA hardware. So EVGA motherboards, EVGA video cards, they make both of those things. So why not? Makes sense. Um, the case itself is designed to maximize air cooling in a four-way SLI configuration. So we have, uh, there was some boxes in the back that have some fans in it that are designed to pull pressurized air through the case. Um, and this is all kind of like stuff that I gotten from CES. Well, now the case is finalized, so we get to see how much of that stuff got realized and um, where they made cost savings because this case is large, fairly expensive, and they have, I think, four different versions of it. Well, a very interesting sounding design. I look forward to the review on that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also talked about uh, video cards and some of the power supply stuff. They have a new... Um, a new series coming out that is a smaller footprint of power supply. Uh, I believe they're still modular and you can also get the single um, sleeved cables right. to plug in there. Um, video cards, we talked about when classifieds were going to come out. Uh, not necessarily clock speed because those hadn't been finalized. Uh, GTX 1060 had just been announced when I was there visiting with them. Um, so hopefully we'll be getting some of those cards in for review and um, in the near future. Fantastic. So good start with EVGA. Mm -hmm. EVGA was uh, probably the most informative visit in terms of sitting down and actually talking with them. So um, next on the list was I headed out to City of Industry uh, and a new vendor that I didn't visit last time was Thermaltake. Oh, Thermaltake. Now we've done a lot of Thermaltake product lately. So mm -hmm. not a surprise they made the list. Yep. Thermaltake has an interesting office where it... Um, it's a huge warehouse. Well, okay, I'll, I should step back. Every one of these places is an office attached to a huge warehouse because for the most part, the reason why there's a U.S. office for these Taiwanese companies, except for EVGA, their U.S. company, uh, is to handle returns and also logistics of getting product out of China or Taiwan to distribute within the U.S. region. So, okay. So that's why the warehouses are huge and why they have an office. Well, at Thermaltake, they have these, um, uh, like a big sales area. It's kind of like these low slung desks and stuff. So you can get up and talk. It, it really looked a little bit like, um, 
uh, like a stock market floor. So you could actually go purchase product from them at the office? Uh, probably, although I think it'd be easier just to get it out of the warehouse. <laughs> probably. Yeah. But, uh, and then there was a huge marketing section where we had the sales and marketing folks. Um, they were all in one region or one area that was kind of walled off. And they had three other labs. One of them was set up for doing videos um, and also the how-tos on products and stuff like that. And they also had another lab for building, which would be for the, um, the elaborate cases that they show off at CES and also at Computex. Um, uh, was a thermal mic was the one that kind of heads that, that whole lab up. But they had everything, like bins and bins of all of the fittings. And then they had like a wall full of tubing, which I oh, thought was wow. pretty cool. Um, they had uh, several cases that were kind of in various forms of, of uh, disassembly as they were putting them together for mods and stuff like that. So it was an actual full functioning lab, but in terms of like tools and layout, it wasn't any more than the hardware asylum lab. It just looked prettier. Well, more product, I'm sure, more just product. laying around. Yeah, and then, you know, he walked me around the, the warehouse, which was huge. They had like triple stacks of pallets of cases and um, there was a, an area where they handled our, all of the RMAs before they went off to Taiwan. So when something would come back, they would go and investigate what the problem was and then report back the, um, you know, the findings on whether or not it was a user error or if it was a product error. Um, he told me a story about how there was a mouse that had died and they sent it back for, or sent it out for RMA. And then they were trying to figure out why it failed. So they got, they had to go all the way back to the batch of when those particular mice had been produced and they determined that there was like a solder problem, but it was one, something that didn't manifest until 30 days after it was used. Yeah, you got to get a few clicks in it. Yeah. So, and you know, that's the kind of like RMA testing that they do there, which I thought was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Neat. So next on the list was gigabyte. Um, I had met this vendor before they had, um, you know, they have a really nice office again with a big, huge warehouse onto it. Uh, they ended up, um, they were doing some modeling or something like that. So I didn't get to walk around, but we went out to lunch and had, uh, some nice Taiwanese food. How fun. Yeah. Which, uh, in the LA area, you can get, um, Pretty much anything, but in city of industry, there's um, a lot of Taiwanese and Chinese kind of food places, and they're actually very authentic. It's quite nice. So, what did Gigabyte have to talk about? Anything fun? Uh, they brought up the like the Design Air, which is a review that I've put out on the website already. I can put a link in the show notes. Uh, we have the the Ultra Gaming series. Um, I have the Z170X Ultra Gaming, which is it's a kind of a nice board. It's their new top of the line that got relaunched with the, the X99 refreshes and it embraces the LED effect. I like so that. Of course, everything's got LEDs these days. Yeah. And the, the thing that I didn't necessarily like about the ultra gaming is the fact that it's all red LEDs and half of them get covered up when you start installing hardware, like a cooler will cover up all of them around the VRM motherboard or not a motherboard but a video card will um hide the leds that are underneath the primary radio video card slots so stuff like that it's just kind of it's a nice effort but a lot of it depending on how you build the system gets covered up no it is still pretty new to a lot of these board manufacturers yeah and you never know next year leds might be completely out so that's Gigabyte, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Yeah, Gigabyte. My last visit for the day was um, out for Zotac, 
before they were in uh, the Chino area, which is the city right next to um, City of Industry, where I was. But now they were out in Irwindale. And if anyone knows anything about the LA area, Irwindale has two major features. One of them is like a rock quarry or a cement factory or something like that. There was okay. a big industry there and a racetrack. Oh, that's an interesting mix. Yeah. Um, but they had uh, kind of a warehouse office that was kind of outside the city. Uh, it was really nice. It was actually, it kind of reminded me of um, here in the local area where you're kind of coming into the city and you're surrounded by like undeveloped areas that used to be farms and stuff. And then all of a sudden you run into the Meridian Village, which is, you know, like kind of a big outdoor mall. Well, it kind of reminded me of that because it had the same, like the same decor. You'd walk in or you'd drive in and you'd have a like park a lot on both sides, but you know, were kind of office buildings. It's kind, oh. of, kind of a neat little um, feel, but they kind of showed me around. And again, they had a bit of a warehouse, um, but the offices were primarily for um, international sales and stuff like that. So they handled a little bit of RMA, but it was mostly just coordinating sales and marketing, making sure that products got to where they needed to go. So did Zeltac have any interesting stuff coming up for us? Well, they described a product that was their their highlight of the booth in at Computex, and it was a um, a VR backpack. Interesting. So if you know anything about Zotac, they have the little Z-boxes, which are those little mini PCs that are a little bit larger than a NUC, a little bit more powerful than that. They have, in some cases, desktop hardware or mobile hardware kind of combined to build a gaming PC. Well, they run off of a power brick, so you have 12 volts going into it. So that is ripe for just having like a lithium-ion battery. Oh, interesting. So you put a battery in a backpack, and then you put the 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 Z box in there. And then you hook up a VR headset to that with the little arms and everything. And you basically have wireless VR. Oh, how clever that takes away most, if not all the wiring. I mean, all that leaves really is sensors. Mm -hmm. So that's impressive. Cause I know one of the big complaints about at least the early adapters, of the VRM is you have to clear out a room, run a bunch of cables, mm -hmm. try to get your computer somewhere. You're not going to kick or you know, fall over it. Yeah. And then make sure that you're not going far enough away that you run into a cable problem or a cable length problem. Wow. That's clever. Something I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. And I know that VR is very new, but it's nice to see somebody thinking a little bit outside the box. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, I, I agree. It was more of kind of thinking outside the box, but I also thought, well, it's also just kind of putting a laptop in a backpack that can run VR. So it's kind of the same thing, but oh, yeah, yeah. they're leveraging off of their Z-Box technology and the fact that it can do uh, 4K and VR processing. And that's impressive for a little box too, really. Yeah, exactly. So the next day I met with um, Cooler Master, the whole reason I went down there, and I found out a little bit more about how they did their uh, maker movement or their maker sponsorships. Okay. So... If you kind of think about what Cooler Master makes, they have coolers, cases, keyboards, mice. Um, they also do a lot of industrial design for other companies and, and whatnot. But to help sell that and to break into a new market that, of users that would use and leverage their equipment, they are going to various schools that deal with like robotics and also dealing with artists that create like digital music or digital art. Interesting. So these... Um, these artists or makers um, will use their hardware, either like cases or coolers or, you know, keyboards and stuff like that. 
um, to build their craft. Um, and at the, uh, at their little demonstration, they had a robot team and it reminded me a lot of battle bots. Oh, nice. But this is uh, a college and you actually might like this here, but this is uh, at the college level, I believe it might also be at high school level in event schools, but they did uh, a tower siege using robots. Cool. So you had, um, what was it? I think it was one defender and five attackers or maybe it was half and half. I'm not sure exactly the logistics of this, but they had to build a robot that would run autonomous through a, a maze, you know, basically the battlefield. Sure. Kind of like a paintball field. Um, and then when they got to the point where they needed to do a, a, a tower siege, they could um, either run autonomous or they could run via remote. And a lot of them changed over to remote and they would aim the bot hit the button and it was, uh, and it would launch a, like a foam ball. <laughs> cool. It had to go a certain height to get into the window. And if they made it through the window, then they got a certain amount of points. If they hit the side of the tower, they got another, uh, amount of points. And the accumulation of all of those was their score. And then of course the defender could come in and actually bump the robots. And, um, I got to see one of their, one of their bots that they built and it used, um, industrial motors, that would be like for robots and stuff like that to maneuver the bot around, um, motorcycle batteries to power it. They used, um, air actuators to handle the, um, the locking mechanism for the catapult. And then there was, uh, a robot arm that could bring it down and springs that would actually, that's what would launch it. Yeah. That sounds super cool. I'm going to have to track down more information on that for sure. Yeah. Maybe there'll be some video. Mm -hmm. Uh, they also had, uh, which was surprising to me, they used uh, a track system like on a tank. So that doubles the amount of motors that you need to have and also the complexity of the programming. But, um, there was like a, a an actual literal Wi-Fi router on board and that's how we got commands. Yeah. You know, this probably gives it more stability, I would think. Mm -hmm. Well, and it was cheap and easy to, instead of having to write a, like a certain protocol to go and program the robot or be able to run out there with a USB cable or something and just do it over Wi-Fi. And at that point it's connecting with a Linux system that controls the whole, the whole robot. Well, very cool. Yeah. And they had a couple of other robots too. Um, that was probably the most interesting. Uh, some of the other stuff on display is, um, modular PCs. Yeah. And that's kind of, I think something that's been a long time coming with the original master case. They, they're, intent for that was to build not necessarily a case, but to build a system for building a case. So if you wanted a case that was a certain height, you'd buy these rails and then you could buy, um, you know, the vertical spars and build a case. And then you could buy the panels to go on the outside. And then you could just add what you needed to add to, um, build this complete system. Well, the concept that they had on display was a mini ITX box. It was like a little toaster. And then they also had a full extreme tower that I kid you not was taller than a cosmos two. Wow. And the, the concept between the two was that you could start with the motherboard in this mini ITX and build that full tower using their components. And basically you start with the motherboard, you carry the motherboard over and then you add all the other pieces to add to it. So, um, it's, um, it's a very, uh, ambitious goal, I think. Um, and very few people, you know, end users especially would 
buy into that in terms of assembling a case from scratch. But uh, from a kit standpoint, they uh, Cooler Master can manufacture the parts and have all the parts available. And then when they say, well, we want to send out a mid-tower case, they can grab all the parts, put them together to build that mid-tower case, sell that. And then the end user, if they needed or wanted to go and say, well, I need to make it a little bit longer to put an extra set of hard drive bays inside. Right. They could just go buy the replacement pieces and do that. Yeah, very cool. Hopefully that we'll see more of that type of design out there. Mm -hmm. And of course they had like some new coolers and keyboards and stuff like that. So there will be an article related to my visit at Cooler Master on Hardware Asylum and I'll put that in the show notes. So something to look forward to. So Cooler Master started day two. What was next? Next was Inwin. And at this year's Computex, the Inwin had their 30th anniversary. Nice. And as part of that, they had a case modding competition where they invited case modders from all over the world to put together a 24-hour modding event. And at the end of it, they were supposed to have a fully modded case and a system build. And then they would get judged by um, professional judges and then also by the public, which I thought was pretty cool. I missed out on that, obviously, since I didn't go to Computex. So I came in and asked them about the competition, how it went, and then started probing about the new cases that they were using for that competition. And then some that uh, were not on display that I didn't see readily. And one of those was the 303. And that's the case that the modders used. And then the 509, which is a very interesting concept because it has an outer shell and then an inner frame. And the frame on the inside allows you to mount fans or radiators or anything you want to it and have it independent of the actual case. So um, there's a, a lot of modding possibilities with that particular chassis. But probably the best thing that I was shown was their LED fan Im- implementation. So if you know anything about LED strips, they're... Um, you know, you have RGB LEDs and there's a controller box that will go and change the color of each one of those LEDs. So you can do waves or flashes and change them from red to blue. Well, they took that same concept and added that to an LED fan and then daisy chained all those fans together. So these LED fans became an LED strip. Oh, that's an interesting thought. So you can do the same lighting effects on a normal strip with LED fans. Wow. So you can string a few of these together and and really have a light show, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. They were talking about trying to put together a kit that you can buy that would have two LED strips, the controller, a remote, and three LED fans that you can daisy chain together as a, a modding kit that you can buy and pimp up your system. So, you know, I have to admit that with a three-fan radiator like I have, that sounds super appealing because you're going to have the fans anyway. Mm-hmm. Why not make them pretty? Exactly. And the way, the fans that were there were kind of like a medium between a high flow and a high pressure fan. So they're general purpose case fans. Sure. Eventually, I believe they're going to have uh, 120 and 140 versions of that. And they may have different fan blade designs as well. But um, still in pre-production, uh, I got to see pictures there on the Hardware Asylum Facebook page if you want to see those. Um, and look for that soon, probably in fourth quarter. Very cool. It's nice to see something innovative. And, man, I tell you, everybody's got lights these days, so that sounds like taking it to the next level. Yeah. The The last company I visited was, was uh, Kingston. And uh, if you know anything about Kingston and HyperX, they're basically a manu- memory manufacturer. They're a bit behind the curve on getting NVMe drives out 
comparatively to like Samsung and Intel, but I believe their implementation will be a lot better. So it's um, good to see that they are taking their time to put this together. But um, as part of my visit, you know, he talked about new products. They showed me their HyperX gaming room because uh, HyperX supports a esports gaming team. I believe they play CSGO and WoW, or not WoW, but LOL. League of Legends, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. But they had this room set up that was broadcast ready so you could have it live streamed. But they had tables set up with complete systems and two sides. So you can have the team there practicing against each other on site at HyperX. Of course, you know, they might be gaming in their house, but they could have like um, demo matches there and use the Internet from Kingston to go and compete with their their. Uh, teams and matches and stuff. Wow, how cool is that? Esports is coming on strong. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I mean, it was just a big manufacturing facility, which was kind of fun. But um, that was when I got to see my first person who was really into playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> oh, no. Wow, there's been a lot of news about Pokemon Go. We were joking about that before we started broadcasting. Yeah. And uh, it, I... Found out, you know, what it was, how to play. I still haven't played it yet, but um, it's an interesting concept. It gets people together. Um, and we went out to dinner later and, uh, the, you know, we were finding like, you know, spots for, for fights and gyms. And then there was like uh, this little area where it looked like there was flowers, but it was a lure. And we went down there and I kid you not, there was like 30 people playing in that one area, just collecting Pokemons and fighting back and forth and stuff. And, um, it it was just kind of amazing. And mind you, this was three days after the game had released and we were walking by looking at people on their phone and say, yeah, they're playing. Yeah. That's funny. You know, that single handedly increased the stock value of Nintendo by, I think I read 25 to 35% just since Pokemon Go was released, which gives you an idea of how quickly this thing is catching on fire. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is the hot new thing. Yeah. Well, um, the last couple of things that I did in LA, which, you know, these are kind of fun, at least for me. Uh, We went to Sanctum Brewing. Nice. Which was uh, literally, they opened up the back door to the the brewery. You could go in there and uh, get beer directly out of the tap. And they had a little beer garden, so you could be... And they were right next to the railroad tracks, so every once in a while, a train would go by. But, <laughs> okay. But um, it was really kind of fun. I mean, it was very uh, outdoorsy, um, obviously, because it was outside for the most part. Um, but yeah, you got people just kind of walking in off the street, bringing in their dogs, sitting down, having a beer, socializing. Um, yeah, my uh, my local friend had a group on, so we went in there to get uh, a flight, a five flight, which was these little shot glasses full of different beer tasters right and then a pint um and it was for four people and we were just two so we had two of them that day and then came back the next day and had two more there you go and it's rare you make a repeat visit so that alone is a bit of a recommend if you're in the neighborhood yeah sanctum brewing uh of course i had to go to fries um saw the some tt premium water cooling gear on the shelf which i thought was amazing because not even the ek was on the shelf there and I saw pictures on the Facebook of some of these things, especially fries. Yeah. Probably one of the, the coolest things I did on my own was go to Frankenson's Collectibles, which right. is, um, think of like the fair, but dedicated to collectibles. So we had this huge warehouse that was full of like sports memorabilia collectors. We had comic books. We had 
uh, comic figures. We had anime stuff. Not as much as you would think, like what you would find in Japan or in in Taiwan. But you could get some some anime comics, some figurines, prints.、Um, and then they had a huge area dedicated to Magic: The Gathering. Oh yeah, well, there's a lot of money in magic. Yeah, and there was、uh, at least three people there trading cards. You know, and you see the guy behind the counter taking this big stack. You know, like. Hundred, two hundred cards, <laughs>、right. and just going through. It's like yes, no, yes, no, 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 yes, and he's picking out the cards that he was willing to buy. Sure.、Um, obviously, you don't you don't want to buy the the common ones. You're gonna and、uh, you、I、know gotta so, weed out the good stuff. Yeah, and then probably some of the ultra rare ones either weren't in the deck or you know he didn't have you know buyer may not have had money to buy them or whatever. But、uh, I walked over to the table where they're all playing, and everybody had them in like the little plastic protectors. And a couple of guys had them in hard shell protectors. Oh, that is hardcore. Yeah. So I mean, they were really into it. But it turns out that Frankenstein's runs every week, and the day that I went was on the weekend, and they had a Star Trek convention going on. <laughs> cool. And it was like standing room only, walking around before that had started, and it was impossible to find a parking spot. It was crazy. Well, that just sounds like the kind of place you could spend a day and maybe get a little dangerous on the wallet. Mm-hmm. Well, there. The prices were very reasonable, but obviously, you know, if you go down and, well, take for instance,、uh, I found a place that had Star Wars memorabilia. Nice. They, they had a new in box Luke Skywalker from 1977 with the gold collector coin and the original price tag of two dollars, <laughs> and he had it listed for five hundred and fifty. Wow. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I remember having one of those and. Yeah, I didn't obviously pay that much. But. Oh, if we only knew what was going to be valuable in the future. <laughs> yeah, well, and they also had like、uh, one of the really ugly, scary-looking、uh, Wookies. You know, with a, it was all plastic and looked just kind of like he was a seventies、uh, kind of dancer guy or whatever. <laughs> it was really funny, but、um, yeah, it was just amazing what you could see there. And、um, you know, some of the collectible stuff was like new, like you could get、uh, Lego Dimensions. Some of the、oh, rare、right. outer outer print ones, because、yeah, when they're gone, they're gone.、Um, and then some of the like super rare stuff, like there was a a comic book vendor that just had boxes and boxes and boxes of comic books. And、um, I sat back and watched because I wasn't going to thumb through all of them. Everybody that came up talked to the guy behind the the boxes and say, "Hey, I'm looking for this." And he would like turn around, look, look, boom, boom, pull out a, a sheet and said,、right. "Showed、oh, it to him." Impressive. Yeah. So he knew his stuff, obviously. But yeah, so LA visit.、Um, you know, I I look forward to going back. Obviously, you know, visiting with my manufacturing partners is always a fun thing. And when you can get a one on one, you can get、uh, a little bit more in depth than what they would normally tell you at like a trade show event or over the phone or email or stuff like that. So sounds like a productive visit. Were there any specific highlights?、Uh, well, we saw the the fans at Inwin.、Um, Probably the highlight was really just the fact that I was there,、um, you know, seeing the Pokemon Go thing just take off and <laughs> how how cool everybody was with it. I mean, as we were walking along, you know, there was this really big, tall guy. He was like six two.、Um, he kind of looked like a gamer, but as we were walking by, he saw that we were playing. Say,、hey, I just caught such and such over here, like four steps up by that tree, and we just kind of laughed because we didn't realize that. Everybody was playing, but we walk up there. Hey, lo and behold, that's where you can catch one. Well, it seems like the more I look around, the more I see people playing. So, who knows if it'll last or not? But 
entertaining that you would catch it in L.A. during the Genesis. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing some of these products and reviews coming up very soon. So check out the site for more pictures and descriptions from the trip. And look for those reviews coming soon, both on the Facebook and on the Hardware Asylum forums. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engine Lane production, copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.